Now the phone is blinking at the proper point, and I'll bet you when I punch that button, I get to say good morning, Howard Garrett. Happy Easter weekend, everybody. And the same to you, sir. It's uh, what is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> Forty-three degrees at my house this morning. <laughs> that's that's chilly for the later part of April. This is this has been really a most is. unusual year. It really is. We played yesterday, and it was uh, kind of a chilly wind all day long. You know. <laughs> It was pretty, but the, the plants uh, seem to like it, except for those like you've been talking about that really require warm yeah. uh, air and soil. They're not happy yet, but it's just a matter of a little bit more time. Well, and we know the heat's coming, and <laughs> all those people that are bitching about it being too cold will pretty soon be complaining about the heat, but uh, we gardeners just kind of enjoy it, and I, I tell you, it, it feels to get out good to get out and uh, do some work, and man, I'm so far behind on my gardening this year, it's just just too many things happening, but uh, it's, it's y'all got some good rain, we actually got a fair rain this past week, so uh uh, weather's just getting better and better, in my opinion. Yeah, we got a nice rain again. In fact, we may uh, still be too moist in the soil. Interesting thing happened. I think I told you about the uh, Dallas Morning News column that I wrote about the uh, oak flowers. Yes, and uh-huh. It, I was thought I was going to be a little late on that, but there, there were a whole lot more oak uh, flowers that came down after the column hit and during that time and the uh, my editor at the paper said that it had more that column had more response than any ever uh on the online uh piece of it anyway and uh she said that's a good thing let's talk about weird gardening things more often (laughs) weird weird plant things that people may not know about well and impacted uh i've never seen so many people impacted by it but it was just fascinating and you said you just discovered it too about how the the male portion of the flowers grew on the old wood whereas the female portion came out on the on the new growth this spring i never paid any attention to that it's kind of an interesting thing and the fact that we had so much uh, so many of the tassels and all does not necessarily mean it'll be a big acorn crop. That was uh, that was just a real timely and just a most informative article because I guess you know uh, just never really thought about a lot of those things. We've got a huge amount. I was still on the ground. The guys coming over to help me clean up uh, today have quite a bit to do, and uh, like I put in the column, you know, it's good for mulch and it's good for the compost. Either way you want to do it, or mow it into the mow it into the turf we have a lot of neighbors that are put still putting it in bags and sending it to the landfill and that's just the absolute worst thing you can do throwing away money yeah and i know that there's a little more protein in this than there are in leaves and things and so i suspect it'll have some pretty good nutrient benefits as well i tell you my head scratcher this time and you can tell me what you know about uh, amaryllis, the uh, hippiastrum, the big old beautiful bulbs. Roberta planted one in a pot on her porch about 10 years ago. It was a big, beautiful double white. The next year, the same bulb bloomed white with some, I think it had some red in it. The next year, single. The next year, it bloomed pink. It has never, until this year, went back to being a mostly double white 
Again, it has been that same bulb has produced several different colors, and it went from being a double flower to being a single flower for nine years. Then this year it's a double flower again. How does that happen? Well, I don't know how it happens, but it sure does. We've got, I'm trying to think of the um, big old perennial uh, flower that we've got. I'm drawing a blank on the name. It it happened uh, to the iris bed at our office when we bought the place. It was having blue irises, and they're white now. They're snow white, and and we didn't do anything different at all. And it, and it's interesting because the first time I ever saw that, there was a question about it that came up to one of the, you know, university type guys that writes and does radio and stuff, and he said, "There's absolutely no possible way on earth it can happen, <laughs> and and you must be either mistaken or you planted some different plants." So I think that. That came from a university stand on oh, yeah. that, um, but it absolutely uh, happens. Uh, we have, gosh, I'm just trying to think of the name of the perennial lily we have in the backyard. That one of the crinums? Crinum. Yeah. My crinums were planted both, both at the office and at, at, at home, and they were bright uh, pink. And I didn't even like the color, and I kind of complained to the uh, lady that I bought them from that, you know, I really would like a different color. She said, well, that's all I've got. So I went ahead and planted them. And they are all today, uh, when they bloom this, well, last year, they haven't bloomed this year yet, but uh, for the past three years or so, they've been pure snow white. So the plants <laughs> have the ability to change and how that you know, happens inside the plant. I don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, it's a good one for me to write on, you know, in this series of weird plant things. Um, so if you run on to anything on it or if anybody listening has a clue, I'd uh, love to hear it. And I'll do some research myself, and maybe next time we can talk a little bit more intelligently about it. Well, I have not been able to find anything on it, and uh um, most people don't even acknowledge it or talk about it, maybe because they don't have an explanation. That's, that's these university people. They, you know, they, they know it all and they're so absolute in things, but there are a lot of things that just aren't absolutes in the plant world. And, uh, it's just fascinating to me that, that how those bulbs can just come out a little bit different every year. And I guess the lilies, but are, are iris in the lily family? I can't remember what the, uh, what the you know what the relationships there are but uh i don't remember either but i it, it affects more plants than just just a few it, mm-hmm. it um, it's really an interesting thing for everybody to keep an eye on i think some people buy a plant wanting a certain color and it blooms another color and they'll even take them out you know they think that something weird has happened but it's just one of those things that nature does that you can't quite figure out. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's one of the things that just makes it interesting. Well, I, I certainly don't have any explanation, and I haven't talked to anybody yet that does, but uh, with your infinite wisdom, I, I thought it might be something that, uh, that that you might have a little more insight on. But I, I find it fun. You know, it's... Uh, uh, it, it's kind of like uh, I, there are so many pretty salvias. I love all the salvias out there. And, uh, again, it was Roberta had planted that uh, pure white uh, tropical sage, salvia coccinea it is. Yep, and, 
made seed came up everywhere around, and everywhere it came up, it was red. It's naturalized out into that kind of area underneath the oak trees next to their home up there, and it's just a, just a sea of red out there among all the ice weed and everything coming up. And I guess I can kind of understand that, you know, from the standpoint of genetics, but to have the same plants change color, uh, that's always been a head-scratcher for me. Well, we'll keep looking into it, see what we can come up with. It may... Uh it might be something really simple we hadn't thought about. <laughs> well, what else is going on? Did you make it up to uh, the Herb Museum, or did that get rained out last weekend? No, it, um, they kind of canceled part of it. They had another uh, sale a day or so later that I wasn't uh, involved in, and I did not go up. I think that pretty much pretty much was a washout. I th- they have the way they do that. They they have the sale for the members the Friday, mm-hmm. and then the Saturday was when for the public and the day I was supposed to be there. So hopefully a lot of the uh, members got some good plants. And if not, they may try to have another one sometime. But, it, yeah, it got hammered. We had some rough weather. Yeah. We had very limited areas, but we had some areas with a very big hail. Uh, one friend had one. Uh, it is strange. Uh, and the hail was odd-shaped. It was kind of the shape of a poached egg. Uh, but one friend had several of them hit his car without doing any appreciable damage, and then the next one hit and shattered the windshield. And uh, I, it's it, it's wild weather. My meteorologist friend kind of warned. He said this is going to be one of those years that the interaction of the warm fronts and the cold fronts it may produce some violent weather across our area. And uh, it certainly has. It fortunately has not been real widespread, but uh, we're just glad to be getting some rain. You all have had some, some pretty good rains, but we just went through two or three months of nothing but drizzly rain. And uh, But the past two or three lines that have come through have delivered somewhere between a half inch and an inch and a half of moisture. So we're looking a lot better than we were. But no, We've uh, had a lot of rain, We've had, and it's been spaced out really well. I've never seen the uh, plants in general happier than they are unless they're in a low spot, you know, and stay, yeah. staying anaerobic now for too long. Yeah. Well, i tell you one other thing that I, I wanted to talk about briefly is uh the it seems like we are seeing at least down here more and more organic fertilizers on the market we have a a company now called viatrac that's actually producing a poultry litter product that they're putting up uh primarily for ag use uh you know in one ton hampers although they're packaging it uh and uh medina is starting to promote their fish liquid fish fertilizer i think it's uh patterned kind of after john uh, dromgul's old uh john special recipe fertilizer and there's just been there's been a, a bunch of good new products out there and i wondered if you had a favorite among the uh fertilizers whether you like the fish base or the alfalfa base or the poultry litter base i kind of use all of them but uh do you do you favor one over the other I think we're lucky here in Texas. We have more choice than anywhere in the United States. That sometimes surprises people, I think. Uh-huh. But I, we've got a lot of good ones. I like any of them that have alfalfa in them. I'm a real fan of uh, the alfalfa. Yeah. And I think it, uh, along with you know microbes in the in the product, I think that just gives you a, an extra little a bit of help. So. Any any that uh, fit that bill, I think, are fine. There's some, like you're saying, there's some others uh, that are coming out that uh, people are, in fact, they used, uh, uh, Lambert's does my uh, 
uh, fertilization here at the place, mm-hmm. and I brought out one the other day. I can't remember the name of it. It was one I hadn't seen yet, but I like the ingredients, and I, uh, I'm going to look into it a little bit more. So there's new. A lot of the companies are coming out with uh, with organic products. Like we talked before, a lot of people in the business are starting to look at organics. So I think all this uh, bad press for Roundup, along with a few other things, is causing people really to move our direction a little bit more than ever. And I just can't think of anybody that deserves it more. I, I We've been very busy at the nursery, which, thank goodness, for this time of year. But somebody was telling me that even miracle Grow is claiming they have an organic product, and I have not. I just don't shop the places that carry those things, and uh, I'm not sure. more than one. Do I they? Looked, I looked at it the other day online. They've got several. Uh, products that are uh, listed as organic. They've still got this, you know, the original blue-green soluble uh, product that we don't recommend. But right. they've got some other products that look fairly, fairly good. We, you know, prefer to support the people that are that are totally organic <laughs> and not still trying to push something like that on you. I tell you something else. I'm seeing one of the distributors that, that we use that's really into organic around here now. The uh, Horizon bunch i don't know if they're uh servicing y'all down there have, no not. they uh hit me up the other day to try a bridge product which i've always been a little reluctant to do because uh, a lot of people are selling those and calling them organic mm-hmm. but if you take a, a a decent or uh synthetic fertilizer that's not you know just off the charts high in nitrogen and and at least fairly clean, and you add some carbon to it. You know, Malcolm talked about this for years. Right. You 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 provide you add to it the really big missing link to mm-hmm. a, to a synthetic fertilizer, and that's what this was. And I tried it on some turf, and my first reaction to it is pretty strong. It it it's probably decent for people who are not trying to be certified or anything, and 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 would really like to push. Uh, some turf area to grow a little faster for whatever reason or something like that. It might be worth doing. It's not the only. I can't even remember the name of it to tell you the truth. But any, the, the, there's a bunch of companies that have those bridge type products. Mm-hmm. I don't like like using them, but I think in certain situations it might be a decent way to go. It's certainly better than a just a high nitrogen synthetic sure. fertilizer or what is recommended on the radio. Here in Dallas and by A and M too, nitrogen only products. That's yep. the main thing they're recommending, and that is the absolute most horrible uh, choice you could possibly make. Nothing will damage the soil right. more than using a one element fertilizer over a period of time and make things susceptible to so many other problems, insects and diseases both. Yeah. How? What? What? Push them to do that was this phosphorus thing, you know. Uh-huh. So looking at their uh, soil tests, which we don't think are any good to begin with, that's part of the problem. Uh, showing, you know, time after time after time that there's too much phosphorus in the soil. And the problem is that phosphorus is not available. Mm-hmm. And so they're recommending that people not use phosphorus, and they're just making the problem worse and worse and worse and worse. The most ironic thing about it is that if there is excess phosphorus in the soil, guess who caused it in the first place? <laughs> people re- recommending synthetic fertilizers that have triple superphosphate in yeah. the product. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and and you know that's that was one of the things that I certainly 
learned from Malcolm was the fact that uh, that these products bring no carbon, they bring no energy to it. But you know, even since Malcolm, of course, was uh, became unable to to do all the things he's done, and then of course passed away. But I, it seems to me that we learn more and more about the importance of soil microbes uh, all the time. I mean, it started when everybody suddenly realized what mycorrhizae were and what they did. But um, I, I think there is, among soil scientists that are not just strictly university-oriented, I think there's just there's a groundswell of opinion that the the life in the soil is the most important thing out there. And I'd, it'd be interesting to see any research that's done with these bridge products to see um, what it does, what negative effects it has, if any, on the soil life, because I I just believe more and more that the greater the diversity of soil microbes we have, the fewer disease problems we have, and the better the plants do. Well, when you put out a product that doesn't have carbon in it, which the synthetic fertilizers, uh, that's the category they're in, right. the uh, microbes have to get carbon from somewhere, so they get it from the soil, and they, mm-hmm. and they deplete it in the soil. That's the that's the most important thing that, that's happened, and there's a lot of other negatives about synthetic fertilizers, you know, the, where they come from and the they're, a lot of them are contaminated with this, that, and the other thing. There's a bunch of filler that are in the synthetic fertilizers that, that are not good in a lot of cases. And that may be what's what's toxic, but I've gotten the feeling that uh, that some of the those products are actually toxic to soil life in addition to just starving them of carbon, starving them of energy. But you're right, it may very well be the fillers rather than the direct uh, um, nutrient ingredients, as it were, that are in there. I think it's a little bit of both that's going on. And the biggest thing may be the uh, just the lack of carbon and starving them, but uh-huh. I think it's uh, several different factors that are in them. But for anybody that's still listening to those, those recommendations that those guys make about using uh, nitrogen-only fertilizers, that is the, the absolute – well, <laughs> it's the second worst thing you can do. The first worst thing you can do is uh, weed and feed, right. you know, toxic chemical weed and feed fertilizers. And then the second – a uh, bad thing, without question, is the nitrogen-only product. Well, yeah, and the third that I'm going to throw out there is these weed block fabrics. I'm seeing more damage oh, to agree. soils uh, from uh, from weed block and, and people just having things growing just absolutely very poorly and well i don't understand i've got i've got rock down and i've got mulch down and the things are just not growing i say well what's underneath your rock or what's underneath your mulch and and oh yeah well the the landscaper put this stuff down that stops the weeds and i think that's one of the most damaging things out there as well well the best example of that and i've i've got pictures on uh, on the website about it is Central Expressways Landscaping in Dallas. Uh-huh. When they did it, they planted, uh, especially in the areas where they planted ball cypress trees for some strange reason, but I think they did it everywhere. And now, you know, a lot of those beds are bare and washed out, and mm-hmm. the fabric is showing and looking terrible. It was, It's a waste of money to begin with. You know, it doesn't do any good to, to stop the weeds. Some of the beds were so full of weeds, they had to take them completely out and completely <laughs> replant them. Right. So they don't function like they're supposed to. And then they mess up the most important part of the soil, the surface of the soil, just under the mulch. That's mm-hmm. where the most microbial activity is. 
where the most ideal uh, conditions uh, should be existing, but won't be if the plastic is there. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it, there's nothing good about it. You're just throwing your money away when you do it. Well, uh, more and more reasons to to be organic, but it's I tell you what, it's sometimes it's an uphill battle. But I think you're I think you're entirely right. I think all of the negative press that uh, Roundup has gotten has has really opened a lot of thinking people's eyes and one of the trends that we feel so good about uh in gardening in the nursery industry is how much younger our customer base has gotten um we we've still got you know seasoned people like uh, like you and me but i am just i'm just totally astounded every day at the number of uh people in that you know 18 to 25 age group and uh, i have to give cacti and succulents a lot of credit for that because that's the first place they want to go is the cactus and succulent house but we i would say the average customer age has probably dropped 20 years in the past two years and i'm so happy to see the younger people and i think they are much more sensitive to environmental concerns and much more much more suspicious of uh, a lot of the toxic stuff out there, I guess, is the best way to put it. And I also find they're very receptive to the ideas that you and I put forward. So I, I'm on, a, on a fairly positive, upbeat point at, at this point in the nursery industry. Well, that's good. Well, uh, to close out, speaking of uh, cactus, I used the photograph that Logan sent me of uh, fasciation on a cactus uh-huh. to do an article about fasciation. That's my next Dallas Marine News column speaking of weird plants i guess that fits in with what my editor wants to do so people can see that on uh, dirtdoctor.com uh, right after it runs in the paper if you don't take the paper well we will look forward to seeing it howard and as always uh you and family four-legged and two-legged have a wonderful weekend a very happy easter and uh, we'll look forward to talking again next week as always enjoyed it as always see you next time Thanks, okay Bob. thank you sir <laughs> come on Mr. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor. If you have not discovered DirtDoctor.com, it is by far the most useful site on the Internet when it comes to useful plant information and uh, a lot of good general information about soil building, about fertilizers, about alternatives to the more toxic products, but uh, lots of information about plants and things that is regional. And having lived in Dallas a number of years growing up, spent summers there with my grandparents, I, I can tell you from experience that uh, uh, the plant palette that uh, Howard uses up in his work up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is, for most part, identical to things that we do well with. So anyway, bottom line, uh, check out DirtDoctor.com. It is a wealth of information. Howard has a number of books out, including some he co-authored with Malcolm Beck. And uh, just if you're looking for a great Mother's Day present or just looking for things to add to your own library, certainly things worth continuing. Good morning, Linda. Hi, uh, I heard that uh, poultry is fed um, roxasone, and that's essentially arsenic. It keeps them quiet and calm. Uh, is that true? And if so, does it get in the litter? Um, most companies, and I think it may have actually been prohibited 10 years ago. Yes, they did. Uh, they did it to just sort of uh, pacify um, uh chickens turkeys things being raised but to the best of my knowledge that product was taken off the market and uh, there was uh, concern for a while today's poultry litter products uh, so far as i can tell they're totally free of it so not anything to be concerned about uh, one thing this is a comment i heard that hydrangea 
will change their color depending on the minerals in the soil. That is that is true of some of the old fashioned varieties, uh, depending on how you what you put in the soil around them, uh, they could change from blue to pink. Here, our soils are so alkaline that uh, that just doesn't happen. But you get out on the West Coast and some places uh, um, out there with totally different soil type. Yes, you could change the color back and forth. But most of the newer hybrids that have come out, the endless summer, some of the reblooming varieties. Um, I don't think you can do that anymore. But the original old-fashioned floral hydrangea, not to be confused with the lace cap types that we grow here, um, you could change color on those. You're exactly right. I was thinking that minerals might be playing something in the color changes in the flowers you were talking about. I don't think so in this case because we've used the same fertilizers and these are things growing in pots rather than in the soil. And, um, yeah, I, the same thing occurred to me and we researched that a little bit further. And I think they've, I think they haven't figured out what it is, but they've figured out that it's not minerals because some of these things like the old flag iris that turned white, they've used everything in the world trying to get them to turn back to blue and nothing seems to help. So, uh, uh, it, it did have an influence on hydrangeas and I think it has something to do with making some colors a little bit more intense, but, uh, on these amaryllis and crinums uh it doesn't seem to be the answer we're still working on those thanks learn it all the time that's what life is about linda you have a wonderful easter weekend and let me say good morning to paul how are you paul doing very well good morning bob good morning sir Uh, quick quick question i had heard you speak before about um webworms and also about the particular wasp that likes to eat webworms. We've got a place at Comal County with some great pecan trees, but also we fight webworms every year with a, a competent sprayer that uses BT. Right. But I'd like to see if um, can maybe get a jump on them with the wasps. Can you tell me more about that or where to find them? Well, yes, yes and no. They're actually two wasps that uh that do two different things out there our paper wasp which um are you know not always real popular because they are the ones that sting you the uh, black wasp the yellow jackets and even the red wasp those are the ones that actually eat the webworms and uh the you know they they use them for food and uh that's that's what the the reason the caterpillars build the web is to keep the wasps from being able to get in and uh get to the caterpillars but the wasp that i think is probably the one that you're most interested in uh is something called a trichogramma wasp and it is a tiny little wasp that does not sting but it doesn't actually eat the caterpillars what it does is it parasitizes the eggs it actually lays its egg into the caterpillar egg which destroys the caterpillar as the young wasp larvae develop so what you would be wanting to put out and it is certainly the the trend and a very good thing because uh, bt while it's harmless to people and pets is toxic to all types of butterflies as well and with all the emphasis on protecting the monarchs bt spraying is uh, is not a real good idea but the the little trichogramma wasp many of your nurseries will carry or i'm probably sure you can get them online but uh you actually, the way you buy the little trichogramma wasp, it will be a little strip of paper, heavy paper, which has been coated. It looks like sandpaper. And what is actually on there are thousands of 
uh, caterpillar eggs, which have been infected with the wasp larvae. So you hang these little strips up, uh, those little wasps hatch out, and then they go out and start parasitizing all the other caterpillar eggs. And it's gotten to where this is far more effective than uh, even the BT as far as controlling many different types of caterpillars. And the trichogramma seem to favor moth eggs, and uh, those are the ones that uh, actually do the most damage to your pecans and other things. They don't seem to be going after the the larvae that make the butterflies nearly as much. So little trichogramma wasps are, are just real neat deals. They're very inexpensive. Uh, you get this little strip that has the uh, the larvae on it. Uh, hang it out there either with a piece of uh, monofilament fishing line, something that ants can't go up and down, or if you're pinning it to the bark on the tree, as some people do, they will then coat the pen or the nail or whatever with Vaseline or Tanglefoot or something like that because that's the only thing I know of that ever goes wrong with a trichogramma is if the fire ants find them, they will eat uh, the little moth eggs and, you know, the wasp larvae and everything else. So uh, there is just a little bit to know about putting them out. But, golly, it's like two to 5,000 wasps per little card and costs is well under $10, more like 6 or $7. So uh, they're very efficient. I think they recommend about four to five cards per acre. And, um, yeah, whether you're protecting pecans or just protecting your other trees from the webworms, uh, it's sure the easy and safe way to go. Super. Could you give me just a quick uh, spelling? T R I, yeah, T R I C H O G R A M M A. Trichogramma. T R I C H O G R A M M A. Trichogramma. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. You do the same, Paul. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right. uh, Let's finish the show up with phone calls. We'll talk to Craig and then Dolores. And Craig is up first. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. morning, Uh, We just started a uh, new garden in Live Oak County. Okay. uh, We started a bunch of uh, seedlings uh, for our garden. Yes, sir. And we were about to put them in the ground, and we noticed they already had spider mites. It was uh, some peppers and some eggplants. Okay. Uh, I treated those with spinosad, and then I went into the garden, and we actually found one of our potato plants already had spider mites on them. And uh, so I treated the entire garden with liquid seaweed, and mm-hmm. I was wondering if I did right and what I can do in the future to uh, to help prevent the spread. Well, the liquid seaweed is the best product out there. Spider mites just have such a high reproductive rate, and uh, the liquid seaweed is an amazing product in that it doesn't kill the spider mites and it doesn't kill beneficial mites, but what it does is toughens the leaf to where the spider mites, little mouth parts, simply can't penetrate the leaf. All I'd really tell you to do is get started a little bit earlier. And, uh, I mean, from the time those little seedlings start emerging, start spraying with liquid seaweed. And it's not just for spider mite protection. I think they've identified now 96 or 98 different beneficial compounds in the seaweed. But uh, given time, seaweed will control the spider mite infestation, but it's much better to prevent it in the first place, and I know of nothing better than spider than uh, liquid seaweed to do it. Now, the good news is that uh, once you get those things out in the garden, at least in the early part of the warm weather, and you'll warm up faster in Live Oak County than I will in Kendall County, but uh, I think once you get those things out and in 
in the garden, spider mites will be much less of an issue. But uh, I use it. I use it at the rate of two tablespoons per gallon, and I try to spray every two weeks with it. Okay, so do you think there's going to be any issue moving the transplants that have it out there, seeing how one of the potato plants already has it? No, I don't think there'll be. And spider mites are everywhere. They're on your oak trees. They're on a lot of the weeds that are in the fields. They're just kind of ubiquitous. They're just all around. But uh, I think your plants are going to be much happier once they get out in the open air, once they get out with a little more air circulation. I don't see any problems whatsoever moving them into the garden. I don't think they're going to infect anything else, as it were. But uh, uh, I might, you know, in effect, give them a good washing. Um, now, uh, you mentioned tomatoes and eggplant. Uh, do you have other things you've you've started you're going to put out there? Uh, the, to, the peppers and eggplant were the last two things that okay. were going in. We, we have a pretty sizable garden going on. Okay. Okay. Uh, lots of lots of different things well your beans are going to be very susceptible to spider mites um okra not so much so and i can't say i've ever really seen a spider mite problem on squashing cucumbers for the warm weather things but uh your your eggplant your peppers your tomatoes your beans uh, and if you still have any snow peas or anything like that out there, they are also very susceptible. So uh, where you see the uh, spider mite, spray weekly, and then on a general maintenance schedule, try to spray every two weeks. It'll give you much healthier plants, and you just won't see any more spider mites. Yes, sir. And if you have time, I have one more quick question. Go right ahead. We are uh, fighting coastal Bermuda in the same area. Oh, man. And what we're doing is, uh, I mean, it, it was a cattle ranch. Yeah. Um, so we're putting down cardboard and putting oak leaves on top, and in areas where we're not doing that, we're uh, spraying a mixture of orange oil, vinegar, and soap, yep. uh, trying to do some control. It's Yeah, and it's going to be an ongoing issue. Your grub and hoe, uh, you're going to find you're spending some time with a grub and hoe just uh, trying to get it out, rhizomes and all. Um, anywhere that you're going to over the summer months, anywhere that you're not planning to have something growing, solarize it, take the black plastic and wet the soil first, put the black plastic on top, weight the edges down and let it bake for about six weeks. That steam heat in effect will effectively kill that coastal. But, uh, other than that, yeah, it's an issue and you just have to keep after it constantly. Okay. Thank you, sir. Great questions, Craig. Good luck with your new garden, and call anytime I can help. And let me get Dolores in here. Good morning, Dolores. Good morning. I got in just under the wire, didn't I? Yes, you did, but you got in. That's the important thing. <laughs> yes, and I should have remembered to ask you last week when I spoke to you, but it's something I forgot. What do? You, how do you know when a, a brooding has taken in perlite? Well... You just, it depends on the plant as to how long it's going to take, but I just lift up very gently when I start seeing rooting or when I start seeing uh, just the first little roots forming. 
Uh, that is, you know, at that point, I'm going to take them out and, and put them in soil. The other thing that I do occasionally where I'm just rooting and cutting here and there, I will use a little clear plastic drink cup with a hole punched in the bottom of it for drainage, and I can actually <laughs> see the roots coming out, you know, against the plastic sides of the cup. It does not hurt them to stay in perlite for an excessive period. Now, if you leave men for real long after they start rooting, you'll need to start putting a little bit of liquid fertilizer in along with your moisture. But in general, I just lift up very gently on the cutting. If it hasn't rooted, you know, it just slides. But when you start feeling resistance, you know you've got your roots forming and at that point uh you can pretty much pretty much take it out and transplant it at almost any time well that clear plastic cup sounds like the good idea yeah just uh just you know put a put a little sharp bit on your drill and punch a couple of holes in the bottom of uh those old used uh rigid plastic cups and they're they're pretty effective at rooting individual cuttings and uh and you can see right through them and uh and and that's one of the easiest way to know for sure that you've got a good root system started all right that that will solve my problem then thank you so much it's always a pleasure Dolores. have a wonderful easter 